0: Disclaimer, the discussions and personal opinions of the guests do not replace professional advice. It's recommended that you seek your own independent professional mental health or legal support to meet your individual needs.
1: I think it's it's about acknowledging what we've all gone through, what we're now experiencing because we've had enough time post-COVID to sort of have a bit of the settling back into something that remotely looks whatever normal is but I think that what I'm seeing now within organisations of every size is it's actually it's the time to reinvent yourself.
0: In this episode, we explore the realm of organisational psychology with our distinguished guest, Erica King, a seasoned consultant with a profound expertise in the field. Erica stands out as an accomplished Australian business development mentor specialising in SMEs within the health and lifestyle industries. As a dedicated mentor, Erica empowers business owners to regain command of their enterprises, alleviate stress, achieve greater autonomy and optimise profits through a robust strategic framework. Known for her prowess in constructing businesses that liberate clients from the work-to-live paradigm, Erica has an impressive 30-year track record and has successfully owned 12 businesses averaging a remarkable $20 million annual turnover. Her outstanding achievements have earned her recognition, including being a runner-up in the Telstra Business Women of the Year Awards in previous years. Join us as Erica shares her wealth of knowledge and insights into the multifaceted world of organizational psychology as we uncover the crucial role organizational psychologists play in enhancing workplace dynamics, fostering employee well-being and contributing to the overall success of the business. She proves that anything is possible with the right strategy and mindset. Welcome to Life in the Cycle Lane, Erica. It's such a pleasure to have you on and I know we've been wanting to have this conversation for a long time. You and I know each other actually more from small world experiences because of my most beloved daily dose of happiness and my favorite dog cafe, even though it's not necessarily a dog cafe, with Louis, we go there every day and you make these incredible heart felt dog treats which he dragged me there to go and get but we met along a local in a local space and then I have discovered that you have an incredible story behind you in business as an organizational psychologist and there is so much to know about you but I would love first off to say welcome and then if we can get into your story.
1: Thank you for that really lovely welcome. And let me just say that it is my absolute true joy right now to be making the most delicious dog treats that the dogs run to get every single day. That is absolute happiness right there.
0: You know, I might add in Gasworks Cafe is literally on... The edge of a dog park. And I can tell you that dogs run to the cafe and run at your little window, begging for a treat. And as an owner, you're running after your dog. I run after Louis and he takes me there every single time.
1: <laughs> it's so true. And it, it is just absolute joy. And I think that that's like whatever we do in life, however, our lives sort of evolve into different chapters. Uh, this one right now for me for me is is super fun. So and the dogs are way more enjoyable than lots of other things that I've enjoyed in my career.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. And like I said it's our daily dose of happiness and I wouldn't do it without it. Which also brings me to how you and I got started and talking. You have been a runner up in the Telstra Business Women of the Year. You have a backstory of business in the healthcare setting. You've also been an organisational psychologist, which did surprise me. I would love if you could just share a little bit about your story, your work experience, whatever it is, but I know you've got so many accolades to your name and I'd love to hear a little bit more about it.
1: Thank you. It's very humbling, but very nice. Thank you so much. I think, um, as I said, my life has had lots of different chapters and my first chapter in life, I actually started my career as um, a makeup artist in film and television. And um, and that is where I can actually say I really understood an extraordinary uh, human behavior in a setting that is completely not normal. And it was while I was at the Channel 9 studios in Sydney that I decided that I was going to study because I I couldn't see that this was a long-term career and that's how I ended up in organisational psychology and going into organisations and really understanding how to get the team meshing together for a common goal. And why I did end up being runner-up in the Telstra Business Women's Awards was because at that time, Um, I was managing, I had a management consultancy company and at that time I was travelling all over Australia. I was ANSET's most frequent female flyer for about five years in a row because I would travel that much. And I was managing um, health businesses, um, health and lifestyle businesses and I did that 565 times in all parts of Australia, so
0: city, Five hundred and sixty five times. Five hundred and sixty five times, yeah. (laughs) And so
1: my job was to go in there and as a consultant, you're paid to make them more money. So they're paying me money. I've got to make you more money. But obviously, while I'm in those settings, it's also about having productive, happy and efficient teams at the same time. So that then led me to be able to use my organizational psychology learnings in the real world to actually make the difference. And though all those businesses were small businesses, um, as I said, city, suburban, remote locations all over the country, every state Mm -hmm. of Australia. And I then started some research because I think when you're doing psychology, it's important to have some kind of framework or something that gives you a structure. It doesn't mean that you're, you know, locked into that, but it just means it's a guiding way forward. And so I studied um, all over the world, a master trainer of Myers-Briggs Type Indicator, which, again, is like it's a framework. I would hate to put the entire population into 16 different types,
0: but it's a good Guide. When you say Maya Briggs, in general, most people know it as a personality assessment or some kind of assessment to identify personality traits, right? As you said, it's a framework. It's a way to be
1: able to at least have some sort of foundation, not only in um, assessing, being able to work together, making decisions, managing change, all of the things that teams have to sort of work through together. But it's just a really useful tool and so i did a lot of research using that framework over um, a good sort of 10-15 years and what i was able to actually you know come out with after all of that time is an understanding of what actually makes a team work what is it that actually Helps us to be able to embrace change in a positive way, implement change. Uh, Because I think the interesting thing is about change is that we all love the idea of it. We go, oh yeah, yeah," as long as it doesn't affect me. As long as I don't. Correct. You know, people love the idea of it, but the actual reality is always very different.
0: Correct. You know, ironically, you're talking about something in an organizational psychology space. But when I talk to clients a lot about anything that is that uses psychological skill, many will come to me and say, you know, we can talk about it in session, we can do all these things, but actually actioning it outside in the real world when they're on their own is so tough. And I always talk about skill implementation. It's about learning something and knowing how you can then um, – transfer that in the outside world and what you're talking about with chain an organizational space is super important so i entirely get that and plus you just listed so many things that oh we could unpack all of them i want to know the answers to all of that
1: (laughs) so going back to your original question i it was at that time when i became the runner-up of the business women's um telstra business women's awards I was, I had the management consultancy company and that's what I was doing. And so because it was quite innovative at the time, um, that's how I got myself into that sort of situation. So, um, But I think that it's critical because theory is useless unless people actually have tools, tangible tools that they can grab hold of and lean back into when times get tough. So, you know, that's for me always been the most critical thing, to be able to give people the tools to do it themselves.
0: If we look at your research space, what is it I guess that you found because you said, you know, what are the factors that make a team work really well? I think you said in there, um, you know, what allows people to implement change a little bit easier or along those lines in the research that you've done for that long of a time, what were some of the results or the outcomes that you found that really were significant and obviously game-changing to then bring into your business? The most important thing is
1: understanding difference and not labelling that as a good or a bad thing, just acknowledging that that. Each of us will come from a a slightly different perspective and that, as a good team, is the healthiest, strongest foundation to be able to implement anything. One of the biggest mistakes that I encountered is employers or the head of any sort of management structure employing like disaster You know, really Mm -hmm. disaster because you've actually got to understand what you do well as the the key person within a team and what Mm -hmm. are the skills that you bring but what are the things that you don't do as well. So when Mm -hmm. you're recruiting, when you're building, when you're developing, when you're communicating, bringing in all of those different points of view and those differences to be able to get the whole And if everybody understands that by just giving them a structure to understand it, then people can actually go, ah, I understand why that person drives me crazy. However, I can see how that adds to a positive within the team.
0: This is such valuable information. (laughs) Well, I think because we all talk about
1: change, we talk about difference, but it's having a framework and an understanding of what that difference actually is. So how do we communicate similarly or differently? And what are the positives and what are the challenges with having a different communication style? How Mm -hmm. do we use information? What type of Mm -hmm. information? What does it need to look like? How do we make Mm -hmm. decisions? How do we organise ourselves? And those four pillars guide us to understanding like what I do well and then what I need to gather around me and how the people around me are similar, great, or different. So rather than being frustrated by the difference, embrace the difference and use that for the power of the team. Not to, it's not about you. There's no I, as we say, in team. It's about us all understanding together. And I think Correct. that, you know, mm. we all in team, we end up in teams with people that we would never socialize with, we would never necessarily meet in any other sort of situation. Uh, we're all very different age groups, different backgrounds. So, how do you bring that together? Well, you've got to have some kind of framework that helps people to say, ah, oh, great. It's not a good or a bad thing that I communicate like this or it's not a good or a bad thing that I I make decisions in this way. It's that's just my stronger preference and understanding how everybody around me complements each other.
0: I hear that as embracing individual differences, essentially as people, we could use these skills to be better as a human race However, I love that you're talking about individual differences. And the other thing that really hit home for me was when I'm working one on one with individually with clients or in groups, it's about that assumption of wrongdoing, um, that I'm bad or I'm wrong, I've done something wrong, um, good and bad, literally will cover so much of someone's negative thoughts, their ingrained core beliefs. And when that is then put in a workplace in an assumption that you've done wrong and there's, there's no other option and there's no grey in a communication style or a belief system, that is what I was also hearing you say is how you shape a work culture, how you um, create a healthy environment for people to work in because, like, as, as you said, everybody brings some kind of strength and unique skill and if you can learn to work together and utilise that, essentially the workplace and work becomes so much easier. Just hard hard to get it right though, right? <laughs> Spot on. Like
1: everything in our lives, we have to work on it. Mm-hmm. And I, I love, you know, I've never been in your context with one-on-one in a clinical setting, but obviously as a team leader and as an employer, I have in many situations been one-on-one with people and help trying to help them to understand their behaviour and how that impacts on others. And I love the fact that you also really embrace that, like there's no good and there's no bad. It's just a difference. And that then we're all equal, we're all just doing a different role but we're equally valued and if we understand that equal value, then you exactly what you just said, we, we cut out all that perhaps past negativity that then influences behaviour or how someone thinks about themselves or how they project that to other people. So,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Which actually will probably backtrack in terms of, the area of psychology that we're talking about an organizational psychologist is someone who works in a little bit more of a niche field in the area of psychology yes it takes additional specialization and endorsement to be called an organizational psychologist it is different as you were saying from the clinical setting of the one-on-one the group um, therapy or the relationship kind of psychology space how would you maybe give us a bit of a snapshot of what an organisational psychologist actually does? So as a,
1: a consultant, using that organisational psychology knowledge and skill would be to understand, first of all, the current culture of an organisation. Now, culture is something that is hard to define but super easy to visualise when you are in any kind of workspace, instantly you can see how this culture is within an organisation. So people very often, team leaders, business owners, employers, top-tier management, talk a talk, but their actions don't mirror what they're actually verbalising. So for me, I really get a clear understanding of who this organisation is, whether it's, and bear in mind, my specialty is small business. I I have only done a small amount of work over my entire career of 35 years in larger organisations. i Much more smaller, um, you know, sort of anywhere between sort of 5 and 30, you know, employees in, in any sort of environment. So, you've got to understand the culture. You've then got to understand what are the goals of this organisation? Where is the roadmap for this organisation? What are they trying to achieve? And how are those two things, the organisational culture and the roadmap, how is that aligning or not aligning? And in my experience, most organizations that i've been into those two would be very misaligned
0: a bit polarized or misaligned Mm -hmm. yeah so Mm -hmm. once you
1: understand because every successful organization starts and finishes at the top level there's no question about that you can't have (laughs) a fantastically healthy and productive and efficient workplace where everybody's valued and doing the very best that they can. If at the top there's a different message being communicated and different actions being visualized yeah. by the team, so it's yeah. then to start. I start helping the business owner, the top level management to understand where they're at. Then we have a look at all of the different levels within the organisation, who's who in the the across, across, down, whatever the structure of the organisation is, and then we start taking it apart and then building it back together brick by brick.
0: Wow. Yeah, I love that analogy too. And, you know, the ironic thing, my mind is making it so simple. I have this thing about making things um, simple that you can take home, but my mind is almost going down that route of lead by example. You know, you want to eliminate hypocrisy. You want to show that you can do, do things well in a business by doing rather than telling people what to do. All those things are simple cliche things that we know, but obviously businesses and organizations don't necessarily implement that or do it.
1: Precisely. And that's where...
0: People find
1: themselves with employees who they would classify as difficult or um, not pulling their weight and it's not about the actual people within the organisation, it's about the fact that there was no structure, there was no plan, there was no step-by-step process to actually achieve what you want to achieve, like exactly what you just said before. These things don't just happen. You have to have a plan. You have to understand you as the business owner or each level of the serious top-level management. Then you start there, you work with those people, and then you start evolving how you want this business to look and feel before you go to the team members. Because if you haven't got that solid foundation to start with, forget it. Not going to happen.
0: You know, we talk about this area and this space of psychology. It's still about getting a lot of what you said right in a mental health and a well-being space, and actually considering that of someone's individual capacity to work, their ability to work at their best. Um, and I know another area of organizational psychology is the psych- psychosocial well-being risk, um, the risk management side, and they did it bring in that all organizations and workplaces, at least I think the larger ones anyway, have to have the psychosocial well-being structure and strategy in place for their employees. And it's just an important thing to be able to As an employee and an employer get your head around would you mind going into detail a little bit more let's say around the risk management space or how you would your experience of that in a small business absolutely so i think you get the
1: checklist and you start to assess who because i would say that the biggest risk to any organization is the business owner and the actual cultural norms that have been created by that business owner. So in understanding that, taking that on, then we actually start to get some reality into the space as to what needs to change and how there's got to be a 360-degree reset on how that business owner looks at their team and looks at themselves. So in being able to get that in place, it doesn't have to be this big onerous, you know, like many months worth of work, but it's understanding that if you want to have a successful business, if you want to have team members who are happy, and I'll just use that word loosely, productive but also that they grow with you as an organization or they come in for a set period of time to achieve a certain goal within the organization that all of that is set out in the, the risk management strategy so that we know exactly what is the game plan what is the strategy for that organization and how does where we're at, where we're going, and then in the middle, the team? How does how do we need to get that aligned? Because you have where we're at, where we're going, and then you have this big squiggle in the middle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work.
0: Mm-hmm,
1: um, so I literally with that risk assessment management side I then just start working through each part but it has to start at the top and then you bring in and have some teamwork where everybody's understanding what we're what we're trying to do and within a very short space of time you can meet those requirements without sort of feeling like it's this huge um you know onerous task yeah. you know, thousands of hours yeah. of work, it's just, I, would, I use it as a foundation for a healthy workplace. So I kind of find that it's a great starting point because the risk assessment really does cover the key points of what's working and what's not working currently in an organisation and what needs to change.
0: Can you give us maybe a little bit more of a real-world example around what you're talking about, whether it was a previous experience of yours but whether you're, you know, working one-on-one to change something or a mindset with the business owner that then filters down to the rest of the team like what kinds of things would you be doing in that space in a real example okay
1: lots of millions of examples but let me take one from a health well-being workplace where you've got um the business owner who is mid-career mm-hmm. pretty shitty they hate their career they're just yep. hanging in because that's all they're qualified to do. yeah. And so everybody is in that sort of like, uh, we're just, it's, it's a bit. Showing up kind yeah. of space, right? Mm, I'm I see. coming in to get my pay and that's about it. There's no joy anywhere. And that is very, very familiar. In a, Yes,
0: I think we can all, I could even relate to that, meaning I've seen it many, many times over, so have you, you know
1: unfortunately Hmm. so in that exact situation it's really understanding how much longer that key person in the environment is like what's the length of their career all right so Mm -hmm. we actually then have to look at their mindset Mm -hmm. their uh understanding of what it is they're trying to achieve and it's not just the money at the end of the day because money for me is that we've done a really good job like that's the reward Mm -hmm. for having done a really good job it's not the reason that I show myself at the start and finish of each day
0: Mm -hmm. because
1: that is not enough of a motivator to get people excited
0: absolutely not and I always say that like it's a Yes, it's a byproduct or it's the outcome of what you're looking at in business but, you know, I always say also when you're employing someone or looking to take someone on board, if it's financially motivated as their sole purpose, the fit then isn't right when you're looking at a culture, keeping a team working together, um, being able to have a buy-in too for the passion for the work, whatever the, the goal is or the motivation is, right? Yeah, totally. Hmm.
1: So mm-hmm. then it's really counselling and helping them to understand that if they want to achieve their goals, they've actually got to change. Mm-hmm. business owner mid-career hating it, that's about as tough as it gets,
0: right? Mm-hmm. So
1: mm-hmm. quite often they're like, oh, well, yeah, I like the idea of all that, but Erica, you know, I don't really want to change, blah, blah, blah
0: comfort and what is it that their their contentment in where they're at in a in a negative kind of way like it's not there to help them or it's not a healthy space for them to keep going
1: so then i recruit the key stakeholders in that team and we then have a mini team to understand what the problems are and how we're going to help this key person who's a bit, you know, ha, so-so about where they're at and help him or her or them to understand that they can have more of what they want, satisfaction, Mm -hmm. uh, longevity, and then the financial reward. So I have actually quite often bypassed that ho-hummy person at the top and recruited the people who've been in that environment for a longer period of time, got them to kind of come and and say right, come on, this is what we're doing and get some real strategies and literally drag them kicking and screaming into the new sort of phase of how things can be and I think it's, it's amazing Rachel when you have that renewed enthusiasm and purpose and you're empowering the people who have not been empowered previously, how that can snap something in the person who's a bit, you know, about where they're at.
0: That's so amazing. It's, it's like power of the people. It's longevity and viability of a business as well. The one thing I speak about in a team is... um being able to have that same, you know, as you know, we're called ethos psychology, but ethos, the same belief system or something that we believe in for the greater good of the business, but also why you're doing it and bringing people together. But at the end of the day, it is longevity in a role and a business too, that you're utilizing the good people that you have rather than continually just cycling through new professionals and I think it's worth its weight in gold and it's so interesting to hear it from you from this perspective.
1: Oh, you, you and I and every business owner knows it is expensive to recruit. It's hugely time-consuming, but also your business drops that continuity with your customer, client, whoever that is, you know, ha- suffers because you've got change. Um, and so holding on to people who have got the right motivation to be in your environment, not holding on to people who create negativity, no, but people who have got the right motivation, yes, empowering them and really giving them the skills and the training to get moving forward. And that many, many times I have been able to transform an organisation by just bypassing that, person who's like oh I know I sort of need to change but I don't really want to I don't know how to and then just getting those people around them um huge difference huge huge difference
0: yeah is that what made the work rewarding
1: oh hugely rewarding absolutely
0: which obviously in turn you said as a consultant it is about making the business money but seeing people in the health and well-being space function better um have a a healthier culture to go to work in that's that's that feel-good space obviously in a similar space of individual therapy and clinical work it's it's seeing the good side or at least um the positive progress which is nice overall as well to see
1: hugely satisfying and i think Mm. in a post-covid world (sighs) we actually have to reassess this understanding and it's more important than it's ever been for organizations to get the right bits into place for healthy sustainable productive efficient workplaces because people have had a taste of this lifestyle, working from home, having a little bit more flexibility, having a bit more life balance. (laughs) So there's, you know, which is why a lot of organizations have now, you know, unless they're front facing, have had to kind of relook at their organizational structures and cultures and modus operandus, because it is different. And a lot of people, you know, of every age group, uh, you know better than anybody because you're living this every day. You know, the level of anxiety that we're living in in our world today is more than it's ever, ever been in my been entire mm-hmm. life. You know, mm-hmm. the level of um Questioning, who am I? Where am I? What's important to me? Where, what do I want to do? How do I want this all to look for my life and my, you know, overall balance, my family, etc.? So, organizations, if they're not looking at who they are and developing, actively developing and nurturing and Implementing these strategies, which create workplaces that make people want to be there, honestly, you're just going to have the big revolving door of staff coming in and coming out, which pain in the ass. Excuse my language.
0: You opened a big can of worms there. Of my mind, just picked that interest right there too, around the post-COVID world, because obviously, in our work, we very readily see trends happen because we're seeing so many people so often it's quite obvious to see you know how the population's functioning or at least within a small sample size but we can kind of see a lot of it and what you're saying to me makes 100% sense around people have had a taste of work from home flexibility decision making they were given freedoms and I guess liberties and things that weren't there pre-COVID, but they're now there, that either a business has to adapt and figure out how to include that or integrate and just have a meet in the middle kind of space. I'm curious to hear from you what you have, what you think is important in this post COVID world to consider. I think it's it's
1: about acknowledging what we've all gone through, what we're now experiencing because we've had enough time post-COVID to sort of have a bit of the settling back into something that remotely looks whatever normal is anymore. Mm -hmm. But I think that what I'm seeing now within organisations of every size is it's actually it's the time to reinvent yourself Mm. and it's the time to actually um, re-energise the workplace Maybe it is a time to look for different and new people because we're not aligned anymore because we all want different things. So I think it's never been a more critical time to understand who are you as an organisation and what do you offer your team members and what will Mm. you continue to offer your team members And how do you integrate that into your business planning and your customer-client-facing services, professional services Mm -hmm. or products that you are delivering? So it's marrying all of those sides of, you know, a business together. And I think it's got to be all the pieces of the puzzle are going to be thrown up in the air and put back down and realigned. And I think the best way to do that is with the team.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, because I would probably say that first year coming out of COVID was a tricky one for people to readjust and come back to the workspace um, outside of work from home and it took some time for us to adjust and adapt in that space and then I would say only maybe a little bit more recently are things hitting more of the baseline of, okay, working on site at work is Still the preference for a lot of people or finding that routine getting out of home, but that is coming back only slowly because there was that adjustment period but it is a it is a really tricky space to navigate in a business sense because you essentially need to change or adapt as the environment around you changes because that was a big unexpected thing to have happened to any business right? completely
1: completely and I think that if there's not a complete review of who a business is what they represent what they offer whether you've got existing or long-term team members or you've got new Mm -hmm. you you literally have to start with a blank sheet of paper and start redesigning who you are because i think if you're not doing that then you are missing out on the opportunities that post-COVID provide and that is to change up you know because there was a lot of things that were really unhealthy about the way we all were working yeah uh, so you know it, there was no work-life balance that was real it was a term that was used but it really in the actual cold hard light of day was not tangible mm-hmm. people didn't actually experience that you know, they weren't able to come and bring their beautiful furry child to the cafe and have a beautiful, you know, like interlude in their day yes. uh, prior to any, you know, shutdowns. But now I think that this is an opportunity and I think if we're not taking that and this is why I think there's a lot of change in the workplaces now and a lot in the workforce and that we're seeing that people are looking for different things and they're looking for those organisations, those workplaces, which actually do align with who they are now. Yeah. You cannot have come out of COVID the same. Not possible. Not possible. Okay. Who you are, what you were doing, what your profession, you cannot come out of that exactly the same. So, Using that as under the underpinning and the foundation of where we are right now in the world, then if we we can't then do the same as what we've been doing for the last pre COVID five ten whatever even a year two years prior to COVID, we can't just pick up where we left off.
0: Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. actually
1: very short sighted and very narrow in the opportunities that this time in that we are experiencing now can provide.
0: I like to talk to clients about creating a brain break, whether it's a minute to just decompress after getting off a meeting, moving, stretching, doing something just to ground yourself and if it is like you said taking your dog for a walk and taking them to a cafe to improve your mood and boost your well-being to then in in turn improve productivity that's what we were seeing in covid because although people were working from home if anything they were working more hours than what they had done before um so i think it's super important and I'm going to get you to talk about something that I know you're quite humble. And Erica King has mentioned to me before when you were the Telstra runner-up, it was with Janine Ellis, uh, who was the person that we all generally know as the Boost founder, as well as on Shark Tank. I would love you to speak about your accolades and achievements because I can hear with all the work that you've done there's so many gems that businesses, individuals, people can take home but it does kind of show us what got you there. I'm curious what were the contributions or the things that um, allowed you to be the runner-up at the Telstra Businesswoman of the Year? Um, What was the level of success that you achieved? Um, I was doing $20 a year.
1: And, Wait, can uh, you say
0: that one again? <laughs> I was
1: I was generating twenty million dollars a year. Wow. Okay. And um, I had uh, a team of twenty people with mm-hmm. me, and I was, as I said, running around the the country with uh, five hundred thirty um, five, five hundred seventy five practice, You know, like small businesses that I was working with.
0: 500 and think about I just want to highlight that. That's why I said that, that number 535 small businesses that you were essentially consulting with and managing. That is incredible. And, that is
1: incredible. <laughs> and we were able to increase them. Uh, you know, the average income of these businesses was about 400,000 a year. We were able to increase those to an average of 1 million a year
0: no way that
1: is that was was over 96 percent of those businesses and the ones that we weren't able to generate that bigger uh increase we were still able to generate um a really good increase for that business owner um because it's all you know there's lots of variables but yeah um, there's
0: method to the madness oh my god this you know what i'm going to chime in and I'll, i'll digress a little but this makes me so happy to hear there's a reason why you were nominated for that award. There's a reason why you're working with that many practices or turning over 20000000 million, let's say, for yourself in a year, that kind of space. Because recently, in the recent weeks over the holiday period, I've been talking to people about um people who sign up as the business coaches and believe me I don't say this lightly because I know there are incredible professionals out there that do incredible work it's in any profession we could say the same thing about psychologists but I have had many people come to me that have paid um a, a business coach or the the dream promise of turning over a million in sales within a couple of months because it 's a method that they used, and then they 've paid so much money up front for these these um, businesses and essentially have had the same returns, if not less, yet the money has gone and invested in these kind of professionals and It makes me really sad because that is also happening out there yet someone like yourself is reputable. It was all above board and it was uh, essentially a promise to a small business that you can support them and help them but you would guide them. The results spoke for themselves, you know. I think it's just such an important space of work that, you know, businesses also need as well. Thank you.
1: I, I feel very passionately about everything that I've ever done because I give it 1,000% and I absolutely love people. And I think for me, you know, every single day I when my foot hits the floor, I choose happy. So that's a conscious, deliberate choice. And I think that through COVID, sorry to keep referring back to that, Go ahead. Uh, there was this extraordinary plethora of people who decided they were going to be a business coach. Yes. And I actually bowed out at that point because I just thought, look, I'm not a kind of yell from the, the rooftops kind of person, and s- sort of blow my own trumpet kind and of person. And not in
0: it for that fame, that celebrity no, kind of stuff. you're telling yourself. Mm-hmm. Not mm-hmm. interested.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I'm only interested in seeing your success. And if I can't help you, I would tell you that. Mm-hmm. You know, like if I didn't feel I could make. A significant financial difference to your mm-hmm. business I actually wouldn't even start mm-hmm. because I think that's fair because you know like I have lived off my reputation and I think that's the only thing you can't buy in life <laughs>
0: is it you're a hundred percent
1: you know you you just can't buy that yeah it's really interesting because I even took myself off LinkedIn I just was like, this is too noisy. It's too stuffed with people who've decided that it's all about the money. And see, so for me, it's never been about the money.
0: No, it's about the people. And I think I heard something the other day that either life coaches or business coaches grew 150% during that time of COVID. And the sad part is, it is a little bit broken promise. And the things that do well in business or any kind of human relationship is genuineness it's transparency it's it's not um promising the world and having these expectations that you cannot meet it's just sitting with someone and being honest about it and I think that's obviously a testament to them why you and your business were so successful and is so successful
1: well thank you I, I really I really I feel that's very kind but I think but I think that you can't promise and not deliver mm-hmm. because that's just not right. And that doesn't, that doesn't fit with my core values. So I, it just is not, it's not something I can in any way get my head around. Um, but I understand that everyone's different and everyone comes at things from a different perspective and that's okay. And I respect that difference. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's a very, Interesting time to be in a business, developing a business, starting a business. You know, whatever wherever stage someone is at in business, um, to really—it's a great time to reinvent yourself. It really is.
0: I I hear how all your work, thirty-five years of experience, has then contributed to you being a business owner, a team leader, a leader of of a team of people professionals and why it is so successful because you are someone who even if, if in our daily life I don't think we would have really connected have we not had that genuineness or um, concern and communication with each other we're just interested we just always hold space for each other so I think I can hear and see how you've brought that into your work and I think it's really commendable so thank you so much for having this conversation with me I've loved it <laughs>
1: Thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. And I've also loved the time together. Thank you.
0: The end of each episode, I have some ethos life questions. And the idea is to keep the responses succinct. I will allow um, for one sentence answers. If you need to elaborate, that's okay. If you can do a one word answer too, that's okay. But I have a few questions that I'd love to ask you. And if you give me your responses um, off the top of your head, that would be great. Are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Question one is, what do you find is the biggest challenge when working as an organisational psychologist or consultant, whether that be an ethical or legal issue? People. Be more accurate. <laughs> I will ask you that one. Do you want to elaborate?
1: Sure. I think that because... Human nature is very complex and so you have to be able to unpack and then redesign that complexity in a way that's positive. Yeah.
0: Perfect. Good one. Thank you for that one-word answer, though. That was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> what is an important psychological skill for people management to be a successful boss or leader? Listening. Listening. Ooh, I like that one. Really like that one. Simple but underrated, isn't it?
1: Mm, Definitely.
0: There's your space that I hear you talk to us about understanding differences. Just listening, just sitting in that space. Good on you. I like that one. What is the biggest life lesson that you learned uh, as an organizational psychologist or organizational psychology in that consulting space?
1: I never got smarter listening to myself.
0: Love that. There's our self-reflection is key, right? (laughs) (laughs) I always say self-reflection, self-awareness and an ability to be able to do that is so powerful. No matter what happens, it's just sitting in that space and really unpacking it and having a look at was there a pattern of behavior or things that you continue to do or is there space to learn to do it differently? Spot on. so good thank you for answering those questions i think they're going to hit home with a lot of people it's been such a pleasure to have this conversation with you and i'm just thrilled and privileged to be having that intimate discussion with you so thank you for coming on so much
1: i really appreciate it thank you so much for your time
0: if you'd like to access our team of psychologists for professional mental health support please visit www.ethospsychology.org. Thank you for listening and subscribe to Life in the Cyclane on your favourite podcast listing platform to better understand psychology today.